This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. This episode is brought to you by GroCo Postnatal Rehab. GroCo was founded in 2018 by chiropractor Dr. Ali Kane when she was 32 weeks pregnant with her first baby. She wanted to create a rehab program that supported women through the physical, mental, and emotional challenges of motherhood. The GroCo methodology is aimed at preventing, reducing, and resolving symptoms women have been made to think are an inevitable consequence of childbirth. GroCo is offering the Mom Room podcast listeners 30% off their one-time payment to be a GroCo member. Classes stream 24-7, so you're able to do them whenever it works best for you. There's also a weekly live class with a GroCo doctor and also a monthly master class. The goals of GroCo are to be accessible to women, be supportive, but also provide them with a high-quality rehab program. Everything is focused on your core and your pelvic floor, which you guys know that I love. Use the link provided in the episode notes to sign up and use the code MOMROOM, M-O-M-R-O-O-M, to get 30% off. Your pelvic floor will thank you. Alrighty. Okay, so today I am talking with Kathleen, who is also known as the Allergy Chef. After struggling with many allergies herself and seeing how difficult navigating allergies can be for kids and their parents, she knew that she had to share everything she had learned over the years. She is committed to helping make the lives of families with food allergies and special diets a little bit easier. So to start, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your experience with allergies and how you became the allergy chef? Yeah, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. Um, So they call me the allergy chef because I personally have over 200 food allergies and intolerances. I'm also contact and airborne allergic to several items, and many of those allergies are life-threatening. I can't drink most water. Uh, We have to have my water imported from pretty much the only place in the United States that has an exemption to not treat the water. And um, yeah, so... Basically, we are a food allergy family. Everyone in our household either has had a special diet or has food allergies or some type of food intolerance. And when you combine everyone, we're pretty much allergic to literally everything. Wow. Um, It's pretty fascinating. And, you know, we've done all the major and minor diets, AIP, GAPS, vegan, paleo, SCD, all of them. Um, And so we have this very unique experience and we're able to connect with people on a special level that, quite frankly, most people aren't able to. You know, when you see a lot of bloggers, they're blogging from their unique perspective. So it might be a gluten-free blogger or a dairy-free blogger, but we take into account pretty much everyone, and we figure out how can we get as many people possible to be able to eat this particular item. Um, so like one thing that I love is we have this advanced recipe search with 75 filters. You know, you're not going to find that most places because people are just doing what works for them, whereas we're creating for everyone. Right. Um, and that's that's kind of just the part that really makes us different. You know, I love to tell people I'm changing the world one bite at a time. Um, and I think that kind of sums up what we do. Uh, we've started a bakery. We have cookbooks. We have our membership. But more than anything, we're just trying to show people like, You can have your cake and eat it too. It requires elbow grease, but you can have anything you want. Right. So in a typical day for you as the allergy chef, like what does that look like? Are you mostly cooking throughout the day? Are you creating recipes or like, what would you say you spend most of your time doing? So it's all over the place. Um, With my personal health condition, you know, I can't necessarily be in the kitchen every day. So it's not uncommon where perhaps on one day I'll kick out six new recipes and then maybe work in bed for the next couple of days. Um, A lot of digital work, 
just putting things together. I mean, you know how that is, right? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice if we could outsource all that digital work, but no. Yeah. So, um, you know, photo editing, just lots of different things. Um, you know, and then of course we're pretty active on Instagram, especially stories. It's a good way to show people like just what you're up to and finding new products and different things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but lots of cooking is involved. However, I will say this. I'm a huge fan of batch cooking. And I tell people to do this all the time. Um, it's not uncommon for me to make a big batch of something or maybe spend like a Sunday in the kitchen where I've prepped for a few hours, I cook for a few hours, and then I don't have anything to cook for the rest of the week or like maybe just one meal. Um, so everyone's fed and I don't have to do much. Yeah, that's so, a dream. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So with everyone in your family having, you know, whether it be allergies or intolerances, how do you, like, how does your household manage, like, buying the groceries and, and making the meals? So, for example, if, if one person in the family is allergic to something, but somebody else isn't, can the person that isn't still eat it? Or do you just keep all those things out of the house? So we're what's called a mixed allergy household. And... It's like you've described where one person can have it, the next person can't. We have a few rules. Because of how severe my corn allergy is, there are certain items that just never come into our home, period. Um, Items that I'm like airborne allergic to, especially, we try to minimize. Um, And then we have essentially three kitchens. We have our main kitchen. And then we have what we like to call the front room kitchen. And it has a special fridge for allergens. And it's got um, a Vitamix for allergens, an ice cream machine for allergens. And I say the word allergens, meaning things that aren't going to be made in the kitchen. And they've got, um, then we have the outside kitchen, which has a hot plate, two toaster ovens, one for each group of people. Um, And then items that aren't allowed to be cooked in the home have to be cooked outside or sometimes they just reheat using the toaster oven but like for example rice is always cooked outside because i have a severe airborne allergy to rice Hmm. um we have two ovens in our kitchen the bottom oven is dedicated to items that i can eat so if it's corn free and free from certain things then it can go in that oven um so everything is really divided yeah and thought out yes very thought out Everything's color-coded in that, um, so we, so kid two, he has the most food allergies out of everyone besides myself. And so the kids several years ago picked the color red. If it's red, it means he can have it. So pans, colander, spoons, everything you can imagine in red. And so everyone else has a different color or it's clearly labeled. Um, and their items actually stay outside of the kitchen at this point. And so it makes it really clear, like, if you're picking up this item, it's because, you know, these three people can eat it. Um, And so it's just, it's lots of little things. You know, when the kids were little, they had snack bins with their names on them. And so each person had a different color bin and their name. And it was one way that I could give them independence. And we had a very strict rule. You weren't allowed to take food from someone else's bin. And you were never allowed to put food in someone else's bin. Like there was no trading allowed. You could give food to an adult, but never a sibling. Um, And they followed that rule very closely. Like they were on top of it. Um, Is something that you do in your line of work as the allergy chef, do you help families set up their homes like in this way? Or do you just give tips and resources or? So on our raised membership site, we have a how to manage a mixed allergy household video um, where a lot of that information is present. But yes, you know, if someone needed help, they could absolutely get in touch and set up a consultation with us and we could do a kitchen tour and virtually walk through their house and, um, you know, set up whatever they need. And so, you know, we always tell people no two people are the same, right? Yeah. Because in some households, financially, it's not possible to eliminate all the foods, right? And in some households, medically, you have to eliminate all the foods, because the person is so severely allergic. Um, like in my case where we, you know, there are certain items that just never cross the threshold. And, um, you know, some parents, they feel more at ease that way. They kind of eat 
for the person with the most allergies. But then in some cases, that's also not possible. And in our case, we're one of those examples. So our youngest child does not do well, nutritionally speaking, when eating the way kid two eats. So we, we have, each kid has a number, two, three, one, two, three, and four. So, um, you know, kid four, she needs special nutritional thoughtfulness for lack of a better word yeah (laughs) and some of the things that she needs kid two can't have and so um you know we're always being mindful of that crafting meals where perhaps you know like right now they're teenagers and um it's a lot easier and so breakfasts they're pretty much on their own you know there's lots of food in the fridge to choose from and then for lunches there's lots of leftovers and then a lot of times i'm making something um, for one group or the other. And then for dinners, it's kind of the same thing. And if your group isn't being served, uh, you have leftovers to pull from. So we're always kind of rotating through things. Right. Um, sometimes everyone eats the same thing together. It's no big deal. Other times they're on two different tracks and it just is what it is. And everybody's used to it. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year. And we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Lil Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. Have you found that, because I'm just thinking, I have a toddler right now, and while so far he doesn't have any allergies, um, I'm just thinking about, you know, the struggle that I have just to feed him. So have you found that having the allergies was really difficult when they were younger and it's gotten easier over the years? Um, I think my personal, like my personality type, it was easy. However, I never discredit the struggles of others and that right. I think it's hard for most people. I just happen to be a highly organized, task-oriented, yet I'm one of the most right and left brain people you'll ever meet. Mm. Um, and I'm an overachiever by nature. So it's like, for me, 
I look at it and I go, okay, cool. Boom, 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 boom. It's all planned. I get this done, get this done. Great, done. Like to me, it just, you just keep, you know, blowing through it like a train. Um, whereas for some people, it's crippling and you kind of shut down. Yeah. Um, and for those people, my heart breaks because I look at it as the person on the outside going, oh, just do this, 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 and da 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 da, right? Yeah. Um, whereas for them, it's like just going to the grocery store feels like a lot. Um, and it's so confusing. And that's part of the reason we have our membership site because like we, you know, tell you which foods to shop for depending on the allergy items you're avoiding. And so we're trying to make it so that life gets easier and more manageable Mm -hmm. because, you know, with a toddler, as you well know, then you have to deal with picky eating, right? Um, And that in and of itself is a whole journey and a roller coaster. (laughs) We, We were really blessed. We did not have a lot of picky eating to deal with. Um, it just worked out really well for us. What was interesting is for kid two, we thought it might be picky eating for a moment because one day I served beef. It was the first time we'd ever served it and he was spitting it out and he was scratching it off of his tongue. Like it was so disgusting. He wanted it out of his mouth and we were like, oh, that was interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, we served it again about a week later. Same thing happens. And I I said, well, I'm not going to torture the poor kid because who wants to do that? Mind you, he wasn't telling us anything. He just was doing this action. And he must have been about five when it happened. Well, we found out a year later, he was actually very allergic to beef. And that oh. was him expressing the allergy. Um, he literally had to get it out of his mouth, off of his tongue. He didn't show other symptoms. Um, and so it didn't click for us in the moment. Like, oh, he's allergic to this because it was a very non-traditional response. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's one of the many reasons we always say, you know, don't force feed your kids. Don't force them to eat things. If they don't eat it, they don't eat it. Um, I know for me, that was done to me. And I was allergic to basically everything. And I was undiagnosed. And I was having symptoms every day, basically, for my entire life. Yeah. Um, and no one picked up on it because it wasn't anaphylaxis. Right. So, yeah. So I guess that leads into our next uh, topic. The most common food allergies that kids would have and what to look out for for those allergies like if you were a parent what what would they be looking out for all right so in the u.s we have what's called the top eight canada i think you guys have are you guys nine ten or twelve do you know i I have no idea i think you guys are 10 right now you used to be nine but i think you're 10 um and so the top allergens mean statistically these are the items that cause the most reactions that require medical intervention. So in the United States, it's wheat, dairy, egg, soy, peanut, tree nut, fish, and shellfish. And in Canada, I believe you guys are wheat, dairy, egg, soy, peanut, tree nut, all types of fish and seafood, so mollusks, fish, etc., oats, and um, sesame. I oh, think interesting. that's what you guys are. Um, and so... The most, the most th- common reaction that we as a society are aware of is what's called anaphylaxis. So that's essentially um, extreme vomiting or throat closing, person can't breathe, um, you know, immediate swelling, hives all over your body, rashes. Those are like the ones where people go, oh, there's something really wrong right now. Mm-hmm. And those are usually the responses that require an EpiPen and usually a trip to the emergency room. So those are the big ones to look out for. However, a lot of people have what I call non-traditional reactions, and there's hundreds of these symptoms. It's GI distress, mood changes, cognitive function, like impairment and delays. For some people, it's mental health related, so increased anxiety, depression. Um, You know, for kids, it's the itching. It's, It's everything. It's literally head to toe, Um, which is why I tell people, if you're not neutral, you should be trying to figure out what's going on. Now, when you're dealing with a nonverbal child, so a one-year-old, a two-year-old, it can be really challenging, which again, going back to don't force feed your child, that's one of the easiest ways. If your kid is avoiding something, it could be their natural instinct to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And when they become more verbal, they might be able to actually tell you, you know, when I eat this, my mouth feels funny right? When kids use those types of words, they're not, they can't 
articulate the way you and I can. Um, and so you kind of have to just listen to those things. Um, and if you do suspect, you can always get a referral from your GP to an allergist and have some testing done. However, testing is known to be inaccurate up to 40% of the time. So it's hit and miss. You know, we don't have the tools and resources available for food allergies the way we do heart disease. It's right. just two different things. And there's lots of different reasons a person might develop a food allergy. And you can develop a food allergy at any age and you can become desensitized uh, randomly, you know. So it's, it's such a wild, crazy area of science and medicine. Um, and no two people are the same. I'm always saying that because, you know, you and I can have the same set of allergies and respond completely differently to the yeah. same. And is the allergy test that you're talking about the one where they like prick your, your skin and then they put the, the, whatever the substance is on your skin and see so how that you is react? one type of allergy test that's called the skin test. And then you can also do blood testing. Um, and those are the two most common. Okay. Um, and so if you suspect an allergy with your child, um, you would take them obviously to your family physician to start. And then from there, like, cause I, I'm just thinking about, you know, our healthcare system and I'm assuming that if I thought, let's say my son had an allergy to something, they would just say, okay, well then just don't give it to him and see what happens. Um, so in some cases they will say that, but uh, some doctors, they really want to confirm with testing. Some doctors like to do what's called the oral challenge where they have you come into the office and they'll have you eat the food. Um, and usually they start you like, for example, um, with like one almond and then they test your vitals and they'll get you all the way up to 14 and then they have you stay there for an hour. And in some cases, they actually have you do exercise as well because they need to raise the temperature and trigger essentially like a histamine response within your body. Um, to see if it will respond to the almond. Um, and if you don't have any kind of reaction, that's considered a pass. However, the only downside to oral challenges is they don't take into account delayed reactions, which is also part of why this whole field is so difficult to nail down because uh, for some people, they can have a true Ig allergy, consume the food, not have an immediate reaction, but then eight hours later, profusely vomit to the point of dehydration and needing medical intervention. So did they pass? Technically, yes. Did they fail? Technically, yes. Yeah. And so can you speak a little bit about um, like allergy versus intolerance versus sensitivity and yeah. that whole that whole debate and argument? So it's all a lot of words that can be really confusing. Um, it can be very confusing because we hear people say things like, I'm gluten intolerant. I'm sensitive to gluten. I'm allergic to gluten. Technically, you can't be allergic to gluten, but that's a whole different thing. Um, if you are celiac disease, you're not allergic to gluten. You have a severe gluten intolerance. But ex And that's exactly why it's a confusing thing. So there are five IGs, and these are essentially immune responses within the body. IgE means the type of allergy that can cause anaphylaxis, which is life-threatening. So an IgE allergy is usually what doctors are testing for when they do the skin and blood tests. However, you can have an IgG, IgM, IgA, you can have all these different types of responses. Food intolerance testing is not widely accepted by a lot of professionals, but it does test a different type of Ig. However, some people feel the results are accurate. Some say it's inaccurate. Some say it's useless. And it really depends on who you're talking to. Um, I personally feel like all testing can be valuable, especially as a guide to help people, especially when they're newly diagnosed. Um, if you do not have an IgE allergy, there is no risk of death. That's the biggest difference. Right. However, you can be in severe pain. And for some people with food intolerances, especially if it's a severe intolerance, you can have reactions for up to 28 days after ingesting the food, which is similar to celiac disease, which is a severe gluten intolerance. You can have reactions 
for a month or longer. In fact, celiac disease is one of the few diseases where you will have, you can have so much damage to your intestines, it can take years to heal, um, depending on how severe your case was, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we have all these different words, but here's the bottom line. And this is really the thing I want people to focus on. If the food doesn't leave you feeling good, if it affects you in any sort of negative way, don't eat the food. It's that simple. It doesn't matter if it's IgE, IgG, or IgA. If you don't feel good, don't eat it. That's so interesting. And I'll tell you my little story. So I figured out finally, this was years ago, probably like, I don't know, probably almost 10 years ago, I was always insanely bloated by like 3 p.m. And I remember like I wouldn't even want to wear pants anymore and it was so painful and it would last all night until I woke up the next morning, then it was gone. So finally I went to the health food store and um, one of the ladies, she was like a nutritionist or something that worked there. She set me up with like probiotics and then she was just mentioning um, like gluten. Like, have you tried taking gluten out of your diet? And I was like, no. So I tried that and I didn't eat it at all for weeks and I had zero issues and I felt like a completely different person. So I've always gone like back and forth to like cutting out gluten and then like slowly introducing it back and then cutting it out. And um, then I, so clearly I have an issue with gluten and it's not severe because I find I have to eat it consistently for a while for my symptoms to start happening. So it's like you said, it doesn't happen right away. And then when I, I went to Italy for a research project and I was there for three months and all they basically have is like gluten filled foods, but they're not processed. They're the kinds of gluten like bread and pastas that, you know, if you don't eat it by the next morning, it's already gone bad. And I was eating nothing but gluten for three months and I didn't have one bad symptom at all. So you've tapped into the phenomenon that we are all aware of within the gluten-free community. Here in the United States and in Canada, the gluten and wheat that's here is really this, some people say like a Frankenstein version of what we used to have. Yeah. Because a lot of people with celiac and gluten sensitivities who go to Italy, especially, everybody talks about it when they go to Italy, they eat gluten there and they're fine. Yeah. They come home. And it's back to, you know, immediate reactions within a couple of hours of eating it. Um, and it just goes to show that how food is processed is critically important to how well our bodies will accept the food. And what's interesting is, you know, some people eat wheat here in the United States and they're completely fine. Yeah. Like they're not overweight. They don't have arthritis. They're not losing sleep at night. They are literally fine. But then the next person might have, you know, this symptom or that symptom. And, you know, it's really unfortunate because I'm a very firm believer that I think a lot of the problems we have, especially in the developed world, is really food-based. You know, one of our kids, actually two of our kids, were diagnosed as ADHD, and I personally did not buy it. I was like, there's no way. Um, we changed their diets, and they were fine. Mm -hmm. like, they were absolutely fine. And of course now I, I, you know, I have to wonder, I'm not, and it's not to say that ADHD is not real. It is totally real, but do we really have this higher rate or do we just have a lot of people that are eating food that they can't tolerate? Yeah. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. 
This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair's too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. I I agree. I For a while, my hobby was reading books about like how food is processed and nutrition and and I was so fascinated by it and I still, I agree. I think so many people suffer with these kind of like low level chronic issues and they, they don't relate it to food or they, of course we, we live in the society where there's a pill for every ill. Yes. Oh, you're not digesting well, digesting well, take this, um, you know, this Pepto Bismol thing or take this pill or take this pill. And it's just this constant pill. Yeah. And saying, let's look at the wellness in the whole person. I agree. Every time I see those commercials where it's like, you know, the guy wanting to eat these, this like massive thing of spicy chicken wings and it's like, well, I can't eat it. And it's like, here, take uh, this pill and then you can eat all this. Well, it's like, just don't eat it then. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. I can't talk though, because I, I just ate a pizza and I know gluten hurts my stomach, but uh, anyways. Well, anyways. but was it at least delicious? Like, was it, it, was, it was, it was, it was. <laughs> and and the thing is, if I don't eat it consistently, if I just have it here and there, then I seem to be fine. But it's when I eat it, like at every meal, you know, like I'll have toast and then I'll have a sandwich and then I'll have pasta. It's like, then it catches up with me and it's, it's not good, but so. Yeah. So you probably have what one would say like a mild gluten sensitivity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not, an intolerance in that it doesn't affect you every single time and it's definitely not celiac disease or you'd know it yeah Um, you know it's it's probably a mild to moderate gluten sensitivity and you know yourself well enough to moderate how much you can get away with yeah and the, the thing is a lot of the times you you won't necessarily know how a food actually affects you until you cut it out. And I think people struggle with the idea of cutting something out because it is like, it's, it's a lot of work to, you know, figure out replacements. And if you're so used to eating that thing every day, then now you have to figure out different things to eat. But until I cut it out, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed that it was gluten. I'd, I'd been eating it my whole life. So Yeah. You know, that's, that's the other thing. And you've pegged it. People struggle with all things related to food. And I think it's like a, you know, it's a social thing. It's an emotional thing. It's like little kids with their blankies. You know, you don't take away the blankie because Mm -hmm. it's special, you know, and that's what food is like for people. I will say two diet types that are really easy and there's cookbooks available. So there's no guesswork would be Whole30 and AIP Paleo. Those two diet types, if you suspect that maybe you have a sensitivity to something, those are the two that will eliminate a lot of inflammatory foods so that if something eliminated was the problem, you'll know by the time your 30 days are up and you've done the diet. um, If you start to feel better, you may have figured something out. Um, And if you don't, then maybe it wasn't that food. Maybe it's something you're still eating on this diet, or maybe it's a completely different problem altogether, but at least you've kind of explored 
um, food as an option. And if you follow either one of those diet types, you're eliminating pretty much every major allergen already, um, things that you most commonly have a problem with. Right. And that would be interesting, you know, like do that for however many days and just take notes and see how you feel. And like, I'm sure that would surprise a lot of people. What was the second one that you said? The AIP paleo diet. AIP. I'll just, I'll link them in the, or I'll mention them in the show notes just in case people want to go check that yeah, out. Yeah, my favorite AIP paleo cookbook is called the AIP paleo cookbook. Uh, it's written by Mickey Trescott and it's really good. It breaks everything down. Um, I always tell people who are starting out, that is the book you want. Um, I'm not sure about Whole30 just because their system is different. Um, so I don't have a book that I refer to for that one, but um, okay. those are two diet types again, very easy to start because it's mainly, it's mainly, you know, produce and protein. That's what they're really getting you to eat a lot of. Right. Um, and by doing that, you've eliminated a lot of things that can normally cause a problem. Now, does that mean that you're going to fit the mold? Not necessarily. I'd say up to 10% of the people who try it, they're still eating something they can't tolerate and they don't know it yet. But for most people, it's a really easy way to start. Getting back to families and kids that have allergies, um, what are your biggest tips for, let's say, parents who are listening to this who have a child with allergies, how to manage the allergy in, in their household, but also like with the child having to go to school, having to go to friends' houses, uh, birthday parties, like what are, what would you tell parents um, to help them navigate the allergy? All right. So first would be exclude the food, not the child. Second would be be prepared. It's going to require a lot of time and energy and you're going to be exhausted, but 10 years from now, you won't look back and regret it. You're not going to say, I regret making all that food to send to parties that my kid was included. You won't feel that way, right. um, but you will be exhausted in the meantime. I will say that communication is the top thing. So here in the U.S., we have what's called 504 plans. I'm sure Canada has something similar. It's basically a law where um, schools have to accommodate within reason your child. Um, and so look into what it would be in your area and make sure you have one of those plans in place. But for parties and things like that, assuming your child is not contact or airborne allergic and is ingestion only allergic, get in touch with the parents ahead of time and find out what will be served at the party so that you can bring something similar for your child. You know, it's really important that they feel similar, if nothing else. Um, you know, even if, let's say the party food, they're having pizza and you don't know how to do pizza for whatever reason, and you can't find anything. Even if you did like a piece of bread with, you know, safe cheese and safe red sauce, so that's like pizza bread. Yeah. As long as you can use the word pizza with your <laughs> child, I made you pizza bread, right? Um, they're included, right? And always have backup items. Keep a handful of candy that your kid likes. Like, you know, you want them to feel safe, comforted, included, and then, of course, free to go have fun with all the other kids. Um, and so, yeah. And so where you live, do the schools serve the lunches? Because in Canada, I don't think that's very common. Like, I think parents send their kids to school with lunches. Really? But yeah, I think so. Well, that's interesting. I've never, like, my my high school had a little uh, cafeteria that you could go purchase something if you wanted to. But growing up, it was always like, I just brought my lunch to school. Huh. In the United States, we have cafeterias that serve food, or you have the option to bring your own okay. lunch. Uh, you have to purchase the lunch if you <clears throat> do the ones that's offered. But um, a lot of kids buy school lunch. Huh. And daycares and preschools, most of them food is served, including snacks. Um, in fact, that's kind of like a big thing here in the U.S. is food-free classrooms. There's some advocates who push for that so that kids with food allergies, like it's not even a thing anymore because food is only like um, in the cafeteria. Right. Um, I mean, some schools don't have a full-blown cafeteria, but that's more seen in private schools than public schools. Pretty much every public school has a cafeteria, hmm. uh, whereas private schools will have kids eat in the classroom. Um, 
That's so interesting. It is interesting because every time, like I was saying, I, I, you know, watch documentaries about like nutrition and, and read books. And I always found that to be a big difference. Like growing up, we ate lunch in our classroom and we all brought our own lunch. And then in high school, there was the cafeteria, but you know, 80% to 85% of the kids still brought their own lunch to school. Yeah, it's, it's really, it is interesting. Like Milo's daycare, um, they serve all his food, which is amazing for me. But yeah, other than that, like once you get into kindergarten, it's you bring your own lunch. Yeah. So cool. Anyways. Um, so with regard to a young child having an allergy, I would imagine that it's very hard for parents to kind of Uh, explain to the child what their allergy means and, you know, why can't you eat the things that your friends are eating? And so do you have any tips for parents on like how to educate their children about their allergy? So there are a few really great books for children, um, like Blue the Monkey, Nutty the Squirrel, that talk about food allergies in a language that kids can understand. Definitely pick up a few books like that. Um, You can get them on Amazon, those kinds of places, uh, Barnes & Noble. And it's a good starting point. I like to use words that kids can really understand. Um, If you eat this food, it can make your head hurt and your tummy hurt, you know, these kinds of things. I wouldn't necessarily scare a child and say, this food could kill you. um, Because then you'll start introducing food fear and food hate and food anxiety but use a language appropriate for kids and more so for your child, right? Some kids, you know, they need to hear a harsher word because they are um, boundary pushers. Other kids, they're really sensitive and they just need to hear some basics. Um, Role-playing can also work really well. Um, So like using their toys, like stuffed animals. Okay. You know, and one stuffed animal has a food allergy just like the child and one doesn't and you know, maybe the one with food allergies accidentally eats the food and then we see the stuffed animal get sick. You know, it's so that kids can kind of relate to it like, oh, that's what happened, you know, when the bear ate whatever. Um, And that's really what it's about when they're younger. The nice thing about having little, little kids, it's not often that they're staring at someone else's plate. Um, So you don't have to do a lot of explaining, usually until about kindergarten. And by kindergarten, Most kids have enough language skills that you can really explain it well. What would your top three resources for families be if they had a child with an allergy? So it could be like a podcast. It could be a book. It could be an Instagram account. It could be anything. Um, I mean, I'll give myself a shameless plug. Check us out on Instagram at The Allergy Chef. Kidswithfoodallergies.org is a really great website. Um, I like them a lot. They have great info. They have info on recalls, which is really important. Um, And then if I can only pick three. Oh, fact. And that's F-A-A-C-T. Okay. They have um, like classroom resources that you can give to your teachers, different things like that. Um, Those would be my top three, I think. Okay, perfect. I'll have all those things in the episode notes. And I also just remembered what I was going to say. Um, (laughs) So do you find over the years, and this is just like a random question, but do you find that over the years with now kind of the the surge of, you know, different kinds of um, diets, not diets, but like, you know, people being vegan or dairy-free or gluten-free, do you find that having an allergy is somewhat easier today than it would have been like 10 years ago? All right. So yes, yes, and yes. Okay. Uh, Products available, so much better. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So much better. The hard thing is we're still having to deal with shared equipment. So for some people, I'd say up to 20% of people with food allergies, they need zero parts per million, meaning their food can't be made on shared equipment. For those people, the resources available are still pretty low. Not as hard as it used to be, but definitely not easy like everybody else has it. Um, The downside to there being all these extra new diets, paleo, vegan, etc. Some people think that you do it by choice or that it's a fad, not realizing the difference between allergy and choice. Um, And then, of course, 
I feel like I hear more and more about people who are just jerks, and I'm saying that word nicely, who try to feed you something you're allergic to just to see what will happen. Oh. Um, more and more people tell us about, you know, yeah, this family member tried to do this or that family member did that. You know, one lady actually said there was a family member that, you know, caused an allergic reaction and then she felt guilty not visiting the person. I'm like, hold on. They basically assaulted you. Do not go back. That you is know, crazy. Um, yeah. And so the social stigma and the internal social dilemma is still very real. Mm. It's still feeling excluded. It's still feeling like an outsider. It's still feeling like a burden. None of that's gone away. So um, ideally there would be more kind of awareness about allergies. Yeah, I think if I were to look at society as a whole, I think everyone sixth grade and under right now, they're they're fine. And and that they are so kind to one another where food allergy is concerned. Yeah. There's so much awareness within kids today because parents right now are pushing it really hard that everybody's sixth grade and under, you know, in 15 years, I think that whole group of people, it's going to be so great. Um, you know, for everyone that's in the middle somewhere right now, it's hit and miss. You know, for the older generation, especially people who are grandparents right now, they grew up in a world where food was real. There were no GMOs. There were no a lot of things. And so their food was so natural. Food allergies were not nearly as diagnosed or even prevalent back then. Yeah. So they still find food allergies hard to believe from the get-go. They're like, I don't get it. What do you mean he can't have peanut butter? Everybody can have peanut butter. Like to them, it really is a huge disconnect. They genuinely don't understand. Yeah, I can unless totally they themselves, see that. Yeah, unless they themselves happen to be one of the few with a food allergy. And we know a few older people like that. They just don't get it by no fault of their own, um, you know, but then that ends up leading to some grandparents are actually kind of malicious. They're like, well, he can have a little bit, right? No, he can't have a little bit. Mm. They don't, they don't want to accept it um, because it's difficult. They can't spoil the grandchild easily. They can't um, do certain things. And so it's a battle that I think we're going to continue to fight for at least another 30 years but then after that, hopefully it'll be like, no big deal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause yeah. I feel like even when I was younger, I didn't hear much about people having allergies. Like it was very rare. And I find now, especially after Milo started daycare, I'm very aware of allergies so much to the point where like, I don't give Milo peanut butter during the week just in case. Like, what if he like has peanut butter on his hands or on his face and he goes to school and, and you know, he comes into contact with someone that is allergic? Like, I'm so aware of it now. But like years ago, I wouldn't have been at all. And I agree with the the older generation. Um, like, I I find that that as well, you know, like, oh, I know I'm not eating gluten right now. Like my stomach was really sore last week. So I'm just like cutting it out. And it's like, what? Like, what are you talking about? And it's like, <laughs> and it, it's always like, you feel like you're, you have to like defend your, your choices almost. And it's, it's like, no, no, no. Like, seriously, like, I just don't want to have a sore stomach tomorrow because, you know, we're going to that concert or whatever. And it's like, you know, you shouldn't have to defend yourself and, explain why you just don't want to eat something you really shouldn't you know there are certain things that you know to me it's like it's a person's private issue you know it's like a medical thing like leave them alone you know um yeah you know where awareness is concerned here's what's really interesting so our youngest child is 16 now and when she was in the fourth grade they sent home a notice one day that just said as of monday um peanuts are no longer allowed and I was like what mind you I was already aware of allergies and all these things and I'm like how are you just gonna cut it out like mid-year because keep in mind too um it was a private school and all the kids have been together since preschool well we went through it it was difficult because of our particular allergy set in our own household peanut butter was actually one of the few safe foods that could come in the house and that she really enjoyed mm. um so that was a huge change well, then I found out three years later, get this, more than 40% of all the kids in her class was allergic to either peanuts or tree nuts. And I was outraged at that point. I'm like, 
why didn't you guys tell us this in kindergarten? We could have been protecting these kids from day one. Um, and wow. it was funny because the way I found out was I was doing um, our allergy chef in the classroom program. And so we went into her class and, you know, we were doing um, food demos with her class and we had all the families fill out a waiver. And so we were able to see right then, like, peanuts, tree nuts, peanuts, tree nuts, peanuts, tree nuts. One kid was like raw carrot, you know, it was peanuts, tree nuts, this, this like, there were so many. And I'm like, why didn't they say anything? Why didn't any parent advocate for their child sooner? Why did it take until the middle of the fourth grade when these kids had already been together for six years? Because most of them started together in preschool. Why did it take so long? You know, and, and that's the thing. It's a whole mindset change that's taking place Mm -hmm. and it's taking decades. Um, And it's, I don't know. That's why I say for kids today that are sixth grade and under, they're going to be just fine for everybody else. We're still going to have to keep fighting. (laughs) Yeah. We're still struggling. (laughs) Uh, Well, the fact that you have basically dedicated your life to, you know, kind of putting this awareness out there and helping families navigate allergies like on behalf of families with kids that have allergies, we all thank you. So what you're doing is amazing. Um, and so where can people find you, you know, uh, your website, your Instagram, um, if they wanted to get in contact with you, how would they go about doing that? On Instagram, we're at the allergy chef and we're pretty active there. Um, I mean, we have social media profiles elsewhere, but we barely touch them. So just go to Instagram and um, our website, goraise.net. That is the easiest place where you can find um, our membership, links to our cookbooks, things that we do, um, just all sorts of things. Um, I think, you know, if you're newly diagnosed, you know, let us know, get in touch. We have a program for people who are newly diagnosed as well. Um, But yeah. I think those are the best ways. Awesome. Okay. I will put all those uh, in the episode notes, of course. Uh, So yeah, thank you so much for talking with me. I'm excited to get this episode out there because I think, you know, as we were just saying, people don't necessarily uh, know what to do if their kids are diagnosed with an allergy and how to navigate, um, you know, educating them about it and sending them to school and all this all that jazz. Um, So yeah, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Are you looking for a podcast that'll make you laugh? You came to the wrong place. That's not us. That's not us. (laughs) Well, it is. We are a husband and wife who chat about raw, real relationship topics. like sex. Like money. Like marriage and kids. But we're not afraid to talk about how your newborn baby probably isn't as cute as you think it is. If you're in need of entertainment while you're driving to work, because that sucks, we can join you in the suckage, kind of like being in your ear. Not physically. So if you want to laugh, come check us out. Come check us out. Brought to you by the Laughing Couple Podcast. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.